At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Blenders, it's Sean and Kevin and Jake, and we are introducing a very special bonus episode of Real Blend. You guys are getting two very cool things coming your way this week um, as we get it ready for the Thanksgiving holiday here in America. Uh, It is an interview that we've been sort of teasing on social media, and now we can go full bore with it. Uh, It's Hans Zimmer. Zimmer is joining the show to talk Dune and his career. And Kev, for me, this is like a top three. Uh, I, especially having listened back to it. Where where are you putting this? Well, I mean, as you'll hear in the interview, there are moments that are so specific to what we love yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. I, I can't explain. I don't want to give it away or spoil it, but there sure. like there are some special things in this interview. Uh, all three of us came at it from completely different angles and different loves of different uh, different scores that they have um, that he's done. But overall, like, yeah, it, it was it was it was almost like like euphoric. Like it was like it was hard. It's hard to explain what that what that what that felt like to talk to him especially about the movies we discussed for sure Jakey, we're gonna uh, dive into it on the other side and get to the people talking about it but where where would you put this this zimmer one uh, in a top if real blend if i'm able to uh to kill bill all of the quentin tarantino volumes that we've done and just consider <laughs> them one fair then i'm calling zimmer two wow all right see now that's high praise and so we can't wait any longer we're gonna throw it to uh the real blend interview <laughs> I can't even say it. It's it's so unbelievable. Uh, the Real Blend interview with the great legendary uh, composer and Zimmer. Here you go, guys. Dive in. There's no way you can get geeky and nerdy enough. I mean, I I, I am. Challenge accepted, sir. We're going to yeah, try our exactly, best. Exactly. I am throwing down the gauntlet of geek. <laughs> All right. We're really excited. So uh, a couple, about a month or so ago, we did the press junket uh, and interviewed Denis for the film. And uh, I asked Denis about the first time he heard Paul's dream, the theme, the the score and yeah. the music for this movie. And he told me this amazing story about getting on Zoom with you and you showing him the piece of music. And he said he started to cry while he was listening to it. And I wanted to ask you just what your remembrance of that, of that moment was, what's it like to actually present 
your music to a filmmaker like that and to see Denis Villeneuve cry well, hearing it? What does well, that mean? No, really good point. Um, I have learned a long time ago never to look at the director when he listens to my piece of music for the first time, just in case there's a slight sort of shadow of disgust and disdain, you know, in his face. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, look, it goes back to like, like, like Chris Nolan in Interstellar, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Chris asked me to write this piece of music before he'd even written a script, you know, and I sort of played it to him without looking at him, you know, I mean, it's in this, I mean, I don't, I, you can see the couch behind me. It's, he was sitting on the couch, you know, so I was look, like not facing him. And I got to the end of it and I said, well, what do you think? And he just sort of leaning back and goes, hmm, suppose I better make the movie. Um, and I'm going, <laughs> what is the movie? Because he never told me what it was going to be about. But with, with Denis, um, no, I mean, you know, it's like I'm a good enough friend not to notice, if not to you know, not to notice if he's crying. I just, I just knew that. Let, let me answer the question slightly differently. I was the first person Denis asked um, about joining him on Dune, or Dune, as we say. Um, and the way he did it was he, he very quietly said to me, have I ever heard of a book called Dune? And I sort of went, wow, as a teenager, you know, da, da, da. I, I've re and I reread it actually really quite recently um, by sheer coincidence. Uh, and I've never seen the David Lynch version. I've never seen the television series because I, I made this movie in my head when I was 13 or 14 or whatever. And I didn't want it to be blunted. I didn't want I didn't want to lose that 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 movie I had made. Just but but there goes the dog. <laughs> Alejandro, God, can't you even keep your dog at no no? See, I just blame Alejandro for everything. Um, um, he's used to it. Um, uh, by the way, by, by, by the way, the, 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 there are quite a few of my scores that have dog noises on them. You know, it's like that dog is barking in the middle of a take, but it's a great take. You know, so so this is all good. Um, but anyway, so so more how Alejandro, more how Denis was um, um, asking. I I realized. I don't know, sometimes you just get that sort of vibe, you know, that, that he was sort of making the same movie as I was making. And so um, here we are uh, talking about, I suppose, the filmmaking process. But what was very atypical is that our conversation, our discussions were very atypical because we, we both seemed to share the same vision about things. So we could go, we, we would, you know, He'd start a sentence, you know, he'd start a sentence and I would finish it about an idea, right? Or I'd start something about an idea and he would finish it. And so it wasn't like a discussion. It wasn't like, what would happen if? It was never that. It was always a foregone conclusion that I was already buying into the idea and he was already buying into the idea. And um the the other thing which I think was felt was very atypical is we all have our teenage dreams that in one way or the other usually never get fulfilled, never get made, you know, whatever the crazy fucking movie you drew out on a um, 
napkin or something, you know, the crazy <laughs> idea you had. And it, it never gets done. But then occasionally some of them get done. You know, who doesn't want to do a gladiator movie? Or who doesn't want to do an, a, like, you know, Interstellar or something like this, just as an example. Um, but but you you do it, you, you you look at it, you look at your childhood, your childhood imaginations, and 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 you sort of run it through that filter of now being grown up and having experienced all this stuff and um doing all that. And I don't think that's what Denis and I did. I think what happened, and I think it helped that the two of us were so aligned somehow. And actually, it wasn't just the two of us, I think everybody was so aligned that we just reverted back to being teenagers. And we made this movie um, with the sort of um, imagination, a reckless imagination that only teenagers, you know, you know, I'm going, Denis, there's, there's this guy playing the bagpipes. What's, you know, what's this, you know? You know, and of course it makes perfect sense, you know, that you have, you need somebody to, you know, to herald, the arrival on this planet, you know, and what better than 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 this ancient metaphor, which you know people have given us a lot of shit about it, um, but that's just people who don't know their history. Because if you look at, for instance, if you if you look at the history of the of, of bagpipes, you know, it's like they're they're all over, like they're they're all over the Middle East. They're all they they go so way back in history. So if it goes thousands of years back in history why can't it go 10,000 years into the future and 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 be relevant be be relevant because one of the things that was really important for me was to not make it an orchestral you know a western orchestral you know western orchestra um you know a european romantic orchestra score i wanted i i, I wanted to go and and and, and Make sounds that you'd never heard before. I wanted to go and manipulate things and 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 make make that thing that I heard as a thirteen year old in my head. <laughs> mm. Did wow. that answer your question? Yes, beautiful answer. Hans, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that topic and go the opposite direction with it. And and there's a, there's this great story, and I really hope it's true of the very first time John Williams ever let Steven Spielberg listen to the Jaws score. And Spielberg yeah. reportedly turned around and went like, seriously, this is this is it. This is what you wrote. <laughs> Have you ever had a, an experience where you 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 gave your uh, your work to a director and it maybe the reaction wasn't quite what you thought it would like, maybe the, um, the director? always, always not not with Denis, not with Denis, um, not with Christopher Nolan. But um, let's not name directors, but let's just go with with, with, the, with the basic what happens part. Um, Every director, every film studio, um, oh, you know, we gotta get we, we gotta get really geeky here, right? Okay, yes, so let's let's just for a moment remind ourselves that it's called show business and not show <laughs> friends, right? Um, so um, somewhere along the way, as as you start getting into a project. Somebody at a, at the film studio will whisper to you that this thing is really really expensive and it's all resting on your shoulders because you're the <laughs> last you know you're you're basically the last voice that comes on board and the mm. and the musicians are the last actors that 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 get added to it. And at the same time, they're saying to you and the director is saying to you, "We want something new. We want something that 
you know, we want something new, um, no, you know, to, something that nobody's heard before. So you do something new. And the first reaction you get is that they're, they're astonished and they're a little bit scared and it's all, it's all a bit too new. Well, we didn't know it was going to be this new or whatever, <laughs> because really what we meant was whatever that last thing that was a hit was, you know, can't you do Gladiator again? Can't you do Batman again? Can't you do, can't you do Interstellar again, right? Um, can't you do Journey to the Line from Thin Red Line one more time? Oh. Uh, I, listen, I'm sorry. Nobody went to see the movie. The movie is not a huge success. But weirdly, that music um, was tamed into a million movies, yep. and um, became the you know became a sort of a, a template for a style of film film composing or film music, you know, that still follows me around. You know, so mm -hmm. so what what happens is. The first reaction usually is one of of trepidation and fear, and oh my god, um, we didn't know uh, this is scaring us. This is this is not at all what we thought. Um, and then, if you've done enough movies, and you can say to them, "I might be totally wrong," and music is totally indefensible because there's no way I can go and tell you why you should like this piece. Mm. Um, you either like it or you don't, right? But I'm, I can say to you, give it a little time. Give it a, give it a week or so, or two weeks, or whatever, however long it takes. And then it's not quite as new anymore. And mm. you suddenly, and, and suddenly it's part of the, it, it fits into the conversation better. I mean, I mean, I literally had that with Terry Malick on Thin Red Line. I wasn't going to mention directors, but I will. Um, <laughs> and, and I love Terry, so so it's okay to, to I say I say this lovingly. I'd written this piece, which I thought was okay. Um, I never think my stuff is great. I just think it's you know we just got away with it. But um, hmm. so I'm playing him this thing, and he's going, "Oh no, Hans! Oh no, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a memorable tune. Nobody can remember. Oh, that's not film score." And then about a month later, it's like 11 o'clock at night and Terry's on the phone and he's in the car and he's singing me something. He's going, what is this? And I'm going, I don't know. And then I'm going, oh, yes, I do know what that is. That's the <laughs> tune you said nobody could remember. And he goes, oh, it's it's actually quite good. You know, yeah. I think maybe we should use it. And that basically became Sean Penn's tune throughout the movie. Um, so 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 it's 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 a complicated thing because you know you have the responsibility on your shoulders of you don't want to go and ruin the movie. Um yeah, I mean I was I was thinking about it. I was look, Gladiator was really tough because um it wasn't tough. It was it was great fun. Rid, Ridley and I had a great time, and we were in total agreement on everything. Um, but you know, there were some people who just absolutely couldn't get the idea of the Lisa Gerard's voice, and it just it, it and 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 what I do in those cases, and this is this is, of course, the big cheat. After you've had a few hit movies, you can do this. You say, okay, before you throw this idea out. I want to put it in front of people. I want to have a preview. 
And I want to mm. see how people react to it. Because it's totally different. You know, a bunch of scared executives sitting there, you know, going, oh, my God, we're going to lose so much money, as opposed to an audience whose only job is, is it an experience or is it not an experience? And if it's an experience, is it an experience we want to, we want to have? So, um, yeah, Lisa Gerard survived that movie quite quite successfully. Yes, yes, she did. Yes. Um, Hans, I want to switch to this conversation because, and especially with Dune and its availability on HBO Max. uh, Well, well, hold on. I'm getting at something. We have this conversation about streaming at home, and quite often the complaint is... Uh, you hear from everybody, well, your screen at home isn't isn't big enough. It's the screen is too small. But the one aspect that we don't talk about is the fact that, you know, people don't have the right sound system to appreciate the amount of work that goes into your score on something like this. So I wanted to get your opinion about streaming at home and why you think maybe in Dune in particular, if somebody goes to see Dune, they're not getting the full impact of the work that you're putting into the score. It's it's well, actually. All right. Look, let me talk about sound, and that's going to be like a half a sentence conversation. You, Yes, I got into this game partly because I like big speakers, right? Mm-hmm. I like things to be punchy and bolty and big and, 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 and you know, weirdly, the, 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 the bigger the speakers, et cetera, and the bigger the sound system, the quieter you can be as well, the more subtle you can be, the mm-hmm. more nuanced you can be. So that, there's that. But there's another thing, and this this really does have to do with the size of the screen. Um, and the trade-off that one of the losers is music. Um, if you look at a at a normal television, if you look at a shot on, on a normal television screen, your eye can take in the whole shot very, very quickly, wander across the screen very, very fast. If you go into a big IMAX theater or just any old big theater, um, it takes you much longer to take in what's going on in that shot. So so that affects how the film is being edited, which affects the rhythm of the music. So on a a television screen, shots might seem like like, like they're they're unnaturally long. while when you look at it in the cinema, they they are just the right length. Oh right. And so, do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So yes, so it's how you uh, because you, your eye has to do far more. You know your your eye has to wander across. It takes time to take in a shot on a big screen, which is part of the sort of magic. I mean, a single shot, especially the way Denise uh, shoots film, and, and especially the the way Joe Walker edits. Because Joe Walker, you, Joe, Joe Walker was a composer, so before he was an editor. So, and I, I've been working with Joe since 1988. So, you know, we we've had these conversations. I mean, there is a way where a single shot, if you let your eye wander into the details, can tell you a whole story. So, right. so, the, so there's the there's the story within the shot, and then there's the story that happens as the as the film moves on, right? which is completely disturbed by changing the aspect ratio, the format, and the size of it. And I'm saying that as somebody who, who loves watching things on, on, on his iPad, and he, I, I mean, I love television, uh, you know, and I, I, think, I, th- I think we live in a time of extraordinary 
uh, extraordinary craftsmanship and ex extraordinary television at the moment. Um, uh, but, but, but I bet you the, I, I know, I, I know, I can feel it. I mean, if the editor is aware of it or not, he, he knows which medium he's working for. You know, mm -hmm. he, he, hey, we sh we're we shooting this in IMAX. So therefore we are going to go and um, take our time over the shots. You know, hang on, we're doing this because it's just going to be uh, Netflix or HBO, you know, and um, so, so, uh, it's not one is better than the other. It's just, it's going to be different. Be different. And I will treat the music differently. I mean, mm. I will not, I, we, we had that on Dark Knight. We were, you know, like everybody's holy grail is somehow. Um, let's put let's put the soundtrack out on vinyl. <laughs> I, you know, vinyl. You know, the good old days when my dog used to walk across the records and scratch the shit off. Um, <laughs> and, but no, 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 it sounded great, other than the scratches. Um, so, so, so we, so we were sending dark, the Dark Knight off to be mastered for vinyl, and we, and they kept sending it back and saying, "There's a twenty-second silence in this," and we kept listening going no there isn't sending it back and finally we figured out it's basically the bass the, you know the the, the the bass just doesn't the, the the cutting head couldn't handle the bass so yes there's still people who are saying these days wow it's very interesting in the dark night on the vinyl release there's a 20 second gap <laughs> well actually there isn't a 20 second gap we we finally managed to get it onto this uh, onto the disc, but your speakers can't handle it. You just can't hear it, right? Wow. So I so knowing that I would write differently, but what 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 I I, I feel my sort of you know especially with with a Denis or with a Christopher Nolan. I mean, remember I'm working with two of the filmmakers that are the most vocal about you know. Um, cinema and and we can get into why they are being that vocal about cinema um which is a slight it's, it's not a technical discussion at all but i i would approach things slightly differently if it wasn't for working with these filmmakers you know if it if it was um you know we just did um Army of Thieves for Netflix, oh yeah sure right yeah, great just score really, Mazzaro yeah right yeah. right Steve you know it's like great fun um, but we knew we knew the medium we were working for. So I promise you, you can hear every bass note. You know, there isn't a there isn't like you know, and it, it doesn't go behind your head and stuff like that. It, it's just it it just sits really well up front. You know, the, the way it's posted when when you're watching something on television. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you don't have to have to have spent ten million dollars kitting out your home. You know. <laughs> yeah. Hands, um, uh, there's a moment that I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, it's the moment cinematic immersion changed for me. And uh, I saw The Dark Knight in 70 millimeter IMAX, 143 aspect ratio, and hearing Nolan use your score as a leading character in the it, it just changed everything for me. And I felt the same way watching Dune. I was able to see Dune the other day in 143 IMAX uh, at an Air and Space Museum and hearing your score pump through the speakers was incredible to me. Um, so it's interesting to me because over the years, you've you've been so synonymous with Nolan 
for over a decade. Um, and I have an interstellar tattoo. It's my favorite movie he's ever made. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I, I know you decided to do Dune over Tenet. And you've talked about the idea of doing Dune because it was it was a special book for you and you and you wanted to do it that way. But when you take on Dune and don't do Tenant, do you call Christopher Nolan? Do you like tell him like, hey, I'm going to do this? Like, what's that conversation like? Because you worked with him for so long and you're going to go off and work with Denis. I'm just wondering what that conversation is like with Nolan. Not great. <laughs> oh, was, was he a little upset? No, 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 no. No, he 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 was look. There, there was another. There's another part to it as well, which uh, people keep missing out on. I went on tour, you know, and I suddenly got really. I saw you. I yeah, I suddenly got really interested in in this thing that I I, I never thought I'd do. And um, here here I was, sixty odd years old, going, whoa. This this is fun. I, I like this. I like. You were this. a rock star. You were literally yeah. a rock star. I saw you sold you out of Chicago. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so Chris Chris realized that you know, and and he realized that you know that's where my focus was at that moment, and then the only the, the, the thing that really pulled me back into to, into the movies was was um, Denis just by saying that word, dude. You know. And it was like, and as I said, I was back to being 13 and I was back to before my career started. I was, and it was like, whoa, all these ideas were rushing through my head. Um, but, you know, you, you started your, you started what you're saying with something really interesting, which is the way Chris and Denis use music, like the way um, the Joker theme, which is not a theme, it's like that D note. Yeah, it's the tiniest oh. repeat. But you know, you'd see us you'd see a shot of an empty city and you just hear it and you knew he was there, right? Um, and it could be really quiet. And and with like like one of the problems with doing this, that I mean the, the the book is so full of internal monologue and one of the things I was trying to do is, you know, music is like, it's its own language, but it's not a language where, you know, you know, you can easily say duck or whatever, you know, you, you can't be specific about it. I, 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 I love this Bernstein thing, you know, where he's describing Beethoven's pastoral and he's finally he's like, I think he's just so sick and tired of people misunderstanding what Beethoven meant by the pastoral symphony. And it's going, he wasn't writing about milkmaids and cows, you know? <laughs> um, so, so that's not what music does. But I, I still wanted you to, I still wanted to sort of figure out of how to connect with the acting that the actors were doing and give you a sense that there was an internal monologue going on beyond the words that they were saying. Um, so I, th I, th I think it sort of works. I think it sort of works. I think, I think, I think you, uh, you realize that there's, there's sometimes more being said than you can actually hear, you know, from the, from the actors. Hans, because you have such a, a vast filmography, I've had, it's yielded so many different emotional reactions whenever I've listened to your, your music attached to the films. I get emotional whenever I watch Gladiator, whenever I, you know, the, the Wonder Woman, you know, score comes on. If I'm walking down the street, I have a pep in my step. I'm sort of curious what kind of emotional reaction you have listening to your own music. Are you able to separate yourself enough or do you know it too well? I don't. I, I, I look. I only listen. I only listen to it when it's time to get going for the live shows, you know. And then it's a different thing because I get the whole band around me again, 
my problem is, my problem has always been stereo. Stereo is, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, you can't quite see it. I mean, if, if you, if, if the camera was slightly differently, uh, different, you'd see that I am in, a, you know, I am totally surrounded by speakers. I am, you know, my world is 360 and so is your world. The yeah. real world is sound all around, immersive. You're totally in it. And stereo is just this thing up front. And so when, when I, when, when I listen back to my soundtracks, and that, you know, on, on a CD or something, you know, you're robbing me of, you know, um, what is it that, you know, I like at least three quarters of, of you know, what there is, what the sonic wow. world is. Yeah. So, so, so it feels a bit of a letdown, you know. Um, plus, the, plus the other thing is, I always think I could have done it better, you know, so... It, look, can, can we tell I, you I, that I'll you give, can't? Well, no, I'll give, I'll give you a perfect example <laughs> um, of of Zimmer stupidity. Um, <laughs> we, 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 you know, doing, you know, we're playing. We're going to be playing Coachella, and the first thing I say to the band is, "Okay, fine. We 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 got an hour. It's not going to be the whole set. So Lion King is gone, right?" <laughs> and they're also going, "Yeah, okay." And then finally, Niall Maher, Johnny Maher's son, who's like 21, he's, he's going, Hans, stop, get over yourself. That's the music of my youth. That's how I grew up. You can't take that out. I'm going, but it's a kid's movie. And he's going, but the music isn't a kid's movie. The music is part of my life. And I, and, and I, have, to, I have to recognize and respect that it's not, it's not my music. It's everybody's music, and it's and 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 the whole thing, the whole thing of of going out, you know, and playing live. I mean, that was John, Johnny Marr going. Listen, you can't hide behind a screen for the rest of your life. You got to look people in the eye eventually. Wow. First off, as a tremendous Smiths fan, I I want to thank you so much for for collaborating with Johnny Marr as much as you can. Sometimes we don't hear these guitarists anymore, and he's such a genius. So I'm so well, thrilled that you two work together. Well, well, hang on. You you know the Bond thing? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it became. I, I've I've been very I've been friends with Barbara Broccoli for a long time, and I never thought I would do a Bond movie. And the 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 order of events went something like this: Barbara phones and said, "Do you want to do a Bond movie?" I said, "Hang on a second. I phoned Johnny. I went. What's the only piece of guitar that actually is, you know, you can validate in a movie score? And he goes, Bond. I'm going, do you want to do it? He goes, yeah, absolutely. I'm going, all right, we're on. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't have done it had he not done it. Uh, totally understandable. Okay, last one. We're going to wrap you up on this. Um, because uh, to me, two of my absolute favorite scores of yours uh, are for Man of Steel uh, with Zack Snyder oh. and The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, two iconic themes uh, for characters that had signature songs prior to them, whether by John Williams, Danny Elfman. Um, and so when you tackle a character that has an existing uh, piece of music associated with them, what is your choice between trying to do any kind of homage to what exists versus deconstructing completely and coming well, up with something new? Well, well, to be really honest, um, but hang on. There were, uh, let's talk about Man of Steel because it's sort of the probably the more interesting one to talk about. 
because I love the John Williams one. I think it's so great. It's my John favorite Williams. piece of music. John Williams', John Williams is Superman. Is, is. Superman is, is, is. So imagine somebody comes along and says, go and beat this. I did have an idea. <laughs> I had I had a I had a really solid idea of what I wanted to do, so, you know, intellectually and conceptually, but I I wasn't touching the keyboard, and mm-hmm. finally Zach said, "I'm coming down on Tuesday." I'm going. Well, I haven't got anything. This was like month in, you know. I haven't got anything, and he 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 came down, and I said, "Look, I'm so overwhelmed just by the." Um, you know, by, by, by thinking about what John did and, and the brilliance of that. Uh, I mean, I have an idea, but it's so the opposite to what John did. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach said something which on the surface seems really callous, but it was so right. He said, come on, Hans, it's only a movie. You've done loads of movies. <laughs> and I thought, he's right. It's yeah. only a movie. So then I said to him, okay, so this is my idea. This is where it's very, very different. I think what Superman really wants to do is he wants to become human. You know, the whole Kansas thing. I mean, all that stuff. So I want to go and use an old piano, like in, in, in you know, and I just, I just want to write something so simple and so human and so, unhor- you know, unglamorous you know i mean part of the part of the 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 trick of superman in any of those movies was always you always put the name into the tune da 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 superman (laughs) i didn't want to do that i wanted to do the opposite so i wanted to do something which was just little piano the simplest sort of folky chords um and and start there and 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 let him let let him become human. Let, let let you know he he won't become human, but let him have that dream and and constantly play with that idea of that dream. So so that was that was really that that idea. So plus it felt really important to not. What what, what were my choices to do bad John Williams? Right. You know, it's like right. um, it, it's it's like. I, you know, I had a job at DreamWorks when DreamWorks first started for years um, as the head of music. And I took it because I thought there are millions of unheard voices out there, great original composers that no, that never get a chance to be heard. So I'm going to listen to all of them, right? And every day I was getting tapes where somebody was basically writing in the style of John Williams. And I'm thinking, this is a company that belongs to Steven Spielberg and John Williams' office is just down the hall. <laughs> I mean, it, 20 steps for me. And if, if Steven Spielberg wants John Williams, he's going to just walk over there as opposed <laughs> to pick up, pick up your tape where you're sounding sort of like John Williams. You know, So what's the point? You know that the, the you know you know um, film music isn't about being a fan of other film composers. It's about being a fan of the story and being a fan of film. You know, yes, I am a huge Morricone fan. Yes, I'm a huge uh, Williams fan. The last thing I'm going to do is listen to those two guys before I start on a film. 
you know right. i mean I'm, i i try to clear the clear my mind of everything yeah you know? uh, uh, hands i wish we had uh hours more with you uh because yeah. we're scratching the surface but we know you have other things to do so i just wanted to say thank Maybe. you so much for joining <laughs> the real blend podcast no, no, it was no. a it was so, a pleasure so so welcome no it's and and, and great great thank you for your questions no you know it's, it's like it's great talking to guys who love who, who you know we filmmakers have the secret fear that however hard we work we're not giving you an experience right and sometimes we don't and we fail but it's really good to talk to a bunch of guys who are actually investing their time in, in in validating the you know and, and and recognizing that that they've had an experience that we've given them you know that 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 we're not you know that our life isn't just a, a waste of time and that at the end of the day it's not show business but show friends absolutely uh, yeah. oh beautifully put thank, thank you, you sir thank you, thank you have sir. a it's great day okay thank you we are welcome take care thank, thank you. you take care bye, bye. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, Jake and Kevin and Sean here to break down the Hans Zimmer interview. And so going back to re-listen to it uh, recently before we were able to post, I cannot believe how, and this is what I, I, to be fair, I haven't listened to a ton of Hans Zimmer or Hans Zimmer um, lengthy interviews. So maybe he's like this all the time, but I was blown away by how conversational he was like instantly. Um, like a bunny. just... Yeah. yeah. Like, yes, but why? How come yeah, he yeah. was like that, like and from the get go? Like, like, also, the, like the turn from uh, I'm not going to give any names to okay, I'll give you some names. It sounds like <laughs> if all of us were sitting around a, a round table at a bar having a beer, yeah, that's exactly how you would say that in that scenario. Right. Much like, but not a podcast interview. Also, right before the interview started, we because I've always called him Hans Zimmer, and apparently people call him Hans, and and then so I think that's literally 
how you say it is Hans Zimmer. So that's that's why we're saying it that way. But he said it's fine. Hans, Hans, whatever you want to say. But it is it is it's I've been saying Hans Zimmer for so long. It was so strange saying Hans. Like it felt weird. Like you said, going into the interview, like he brings up so many things that we have just discussed on the show that it almost feels like he listens. Right. Like, but they're just they're things that are natural to him. He was like. I was talking to Chris about uh, a new score he wanted me to write, and it ended up being Interstellar. And I look right at Kevin, like, is Kevin going to be okay with this? No, I, I like, blacked out at that point. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't remember the interview from the moment There's, he said. Kevin, Chris you don't Nolan. remember? Like the interview went three hours. You Did were blacked it? out okay. for, for like two forty-five of it. When he, when he pointed to his couch, if you and people who are listening to this, if you have, uh, there's a, a video component to this, obviously. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, there he's sitting in a studio and he and he specifically points out the couch that Christopher Nolan sat on when Zimmer showed him the interstellar score for the first time, because generally speaking, scores are written after or during production. But he, uh, Nolan wanted the to know the, to hear the music first, just based on the themes, not even the story or anything like that. And just to know the history of like that Nolan sat there. And Zimmer showed it to him. And then what did Zimmer say? He puts his head down like this. Well, it was Jake's. Jake had that terrific quote. Jake asked, like, what happens when you play a, a score for a compo- uh, for a director and, and they don't like it kind of thing? Um, you know, does that ever happen? And, and you know, if someone is conceited uh, or, you know, they think that they're high and mighty, they would say that never happens. And the reason why I love Zimmer is because he's just like, it happens all the time. Like, every well, time. I mean, statistically, <laughs> when you've scored the number of scores that he has. Sure. It's impossible. Like, you know, like, like this is, there's a reason that if you bat 300 in baseball, you're in the Hall of Fame. Like you go you go up to, to home plate enough. You can't be expected to get on base or knock it out of the park. It, you just can't. It, right. it's, it's unfair. I, I wonder, though, guys, if you could imagine. So he was watching us on this monitor. And so he saw th- the faces of three grown men, just <laughs> one, just gawking at him. But the moment that he pointed to his couch behind him, imagine on that monitor, all three of us just leaned forward. Yeah. And like, yeah. just look, just, just imagine that, how that had to be for him. Just the three yeah. of us just peering into his home. One of my favorite producer Gabe here, but I don't know if I've officially been introduced. Hi Gabe, how are you? Yes. For the, hey. for the uninitiated. Producer um, Gabe. One of my favorite moments, which I, th- I think made the edit. I'll have to check. I'm, I'm finishing the edit after this. I'll have to double check. Uh, Definitely check out the video because the times when you see the guy's reactions are worth it. And there's one where Hans is telling a story and in the middle of it, he goes, well, let's just talk about the Dark Knight for a second. And Sean, like, almost faints. <laughs> like, you see Sean, like, he's like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Talk about the Dark Knight. <laughs> the Dark Knight. Please. That little movie. Well, that's when he was, I think might have been a different story, but he was discussing, like, uh, everybody want to snatch up vinyl. But vinyl yeah, couldn't yeah. hold the bass note that yeah. he dropped into the oh thing. So he's saying, like, everyone's complaining that there's a 20 second uh, gap. And we're, we're listening to it back and saying, no, there's not a gap. It's just it's this bass note. So wait, should I ask him about the Inception? The Inception. Wow. It's, just, it's just a blank vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and then, of course, my favorite has to be because I was fishing for that uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 quote. <laughs> And I said, uh, you got to do Amazing Spider-Man 2 and and uh, and Batman. And he goes, so how about we just talk about Batman? Because <laughs> that's the one, that's the one no, that went well. It was Man of Steel. Was Man oh, of Steel. Man of Steel. Yes, that's right. It was Man of Steel. Yes. I mean, the... To think about the, the the movies that he's composed, it's like it's unbelievable. It's almost... And, like, I just... I was thankful we got to cover a good majority of his career in 30 minutes. Like, like it right, was, yeah. that's yeah. not easy to do. And I, I give him the credit 
for like doing all that because he was the one who was jumping around for us kind of i mean he was the one that was taking us down the paths of the different movies and everything which was really cool because we were able to we were talking to him for dune but he was able to like use his career to explain things and like one of the things that we didn't get to in the interview which i do want to mention is a really cool featurette i think it's on hbo max or you can just look it up on online uh, on YouTube um, about the score. They created new instruments for this Dune score and mm-hmm. like people had to learn to play new instruments for this score uh, is just outstanding. And his, his Dune score is one of the best of his career. To talk to talk more specifically about some of his answers while we're here. I I love Man of Steel and I've loved Man of Steel since day one. I, I It's a masterpiece. And we've discussed this on the on the show well, several times. Yeah. But his explanation about the the kernel of an idea that he had for the for the theme mm. of of sort of like holding on to the idea of him wanting to be human mm-hmm. and wanting to become human and the theme sort of reflecting his sort of journey and hope ironically enough of becoming human is just such a great is one of those quotes where you you get a really firm understanding of how the job works like yeah. it's a when we talk about composers in particular you know when we talk about cinematographers it's kind of very obvious what they're doing. When we talk about directors, it seems kind of obvious what they're doing. Everyone has kind of an idea. And a composer, I think a lot of people just write off as like they write music. Yeah. But getting to hear his creative process and how he was more specifically just trying to f- trying to identify with the character. And then he just happens to express himself through music was one of my favorite answers that he gave in the whole interview. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the reasons, one of the main reasons it's such a special interview. I couldn't agree with you more because like that, like... And he was talking about specifically those piano notes, those little mm. piano notes um, in in the Man of Steel score, because that score is very it does get aggressive and loud. And it, ha- sure. and it but but that but your Gabe is so right. I never because the whole idea of following John Williams and trying to, you know, not beat that score, but try and make your own score, um, mm. but not try and emulate what Williams did. Um, but like Gabe said, like it was like that journey of his mind into, okay, how you're you're so right. Cause like, it's like the feeling of that town, of that town of where they were living and like that music, it speaks so perfectly to that feeling of what that place feels like. I mean, it's so right. Gabe, you're a hundred percent right on that. It was like a whole nother level of input into a piece of music that I already loved. It was almost like. I knew I loved that piece of music, but I don't think I ever truly knew why. Mm. And then now I'm like, like I loved it with the film and what Snyder did with it, obviously. But I, but emotionally, I think now I feel so much deeper about it. Yeah. Knowing where it came from. It's like crazy to me. And also another element. Another element that's so great with him is that none of his answers. I don't, I don't feel were the, the standard Hollywood answer. No, because when Kevin said, uh, you had to, choose dune over tenant <laughs> how did that conversation go and he goes not great not great <laughs> that's all you needed to say too you didn't need to say so, anything else that no i was like that oh was god the best it was also cool honest to, answer it was cool to hear him talk about john williams because i don't know why but i just kind of assumed that that two guys like that this is such a negative way to look at it but like might be in competition with each other sure. always you yeah. know and to hear Hans Zimmer talk about Williams in such like a loving, like just like 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 how we would talk about him, like a fan, yeah, yeah. it was just kind of a reminder that like okay, maybe I don't need to think of two people that do the same thing as in like you can 
appreciate someone else in the same way that like I love watching both of your interviews and I love whatever you guys you know and I, I don't think any of us watch each other stuff in that way so it's like no. it's, a, it's a nice reminder that that these two guys are probably fans of each other and that was really yeah. refreshing for me we are the it's, the John Williams and Hans Zimmers <laughs> of the world that's definitely a good way to put it so tell me that you don't want like a documentary or a time machine somehow become a fly on the wall when he he's telling this story about being head of music at DreamWorks, oh, yeah. and John Williams' office is right down the hall, oh. and you just want to go, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> can I just hang out in that? Can I just bring people coffee and just hear how that works? What an amazing moment! But you yeah. would bring people, and as you're walking into John Williams' office, you'd be like, sorry, stuck in my head. Yeah, right. Also, that interview—you can use that, John. You can use that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> that interview, though, it has changed a little bit the way I experience films. Now, and the, there's an answer he gives in the interview about the watching a film on screen versus watching it at home, right? And he talks about this idea of you as an mm. audience looking through the frame in the beats of the music somehow. Yeah. Um, and I went and saw Belfast recently and there's a lot of wide, beautiful shots with great depth of field. And I found myself thinking of what Zimmer was saying as I, as I looked through the frame and as I looked through the, it was just so interesting. I had never thought about that before because when you're watching at home, it's that screen. It's basically just one vision. You're looking right at it. It's all in your, in, in that, in that viewpoint, but when you're yeah. when you're engrossed in a cinema and you have the that peripheral is the almost gone and it's just the screen, especially like in a one four three like with Dune or something like that, it's like you're you're it, it's it's almost it's it's incredible how he explained that. I, I never thought about yeah. that before. So I've read about editing and things like that countless times and studied it officially. Studied it and I had never thought of that. No as an actual tool, as an actual like uh, an aspect of the film that you have to consider of the cut has to be longer or you have to be longer between cuts on the size of the screen because of the way your eye moves, which seems so obvious when he says it, you go, of course you're always thinking about how the eye is moving in an image, sure. but timing that to music and all well, of that was brilliant. And another reason to check the interview out on YouTube for the visual aspect is to just see his, his visceral reaction when we mention HBO max <laughs> <laughs> and how upset he is. The Dune is even available there. He's horrified. Oh, yeah. Also the comment he said at the end of our, of the interview is we were, we, we oh all, gosh, we all, yeah. we all got off the interview and I was going to make a joke, but we all got off the interview and we, we emotional, we were emotional. emotionally and we, and we were yeah. like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> what, what he just said was like, it was like, it was unbelievable. I I, it, I, I couldn't yeah. believe that he took the time to even say that. And the way he said it, it was just like, Phew. yeah, the callback was great, too. It yeah. was. Yeah. Show oh, friends. Yeah. The oh, show, so friends. show yeah. friends. We show should friends. change our name to show friends. Honestly, like, show there's friends? no other reason not to call the show. Show friends. Show friends. Right? Show friends. Right? Change it no, after 200. The, that's the uh, that's the little like tagline. That's like the subheader under um, what, what does he call us? Real talk? Real talk. No, 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 real, talk. talk. <laughs> We're real, real talk. Real talk. The home of show friends. Like little tagline. <laughs> oh, sure. uh, that's great. All right. So that's Hans Zimmer. Uh, Hans. Hans Zimmer, friend of the show. We get to phone um, it in the rest sorry, of the year. Gabe. Yes, please. Go ahead. No, as we're signing off, I want to let people just on a tease for what's coming in a couple days. Yes. Uh, the main show. This is our a bonus episode this week. I mean, the bonus episode of all bonus episodes. <laughs> yes, true. Um, and... 
Additionally, we are giving them an interview with Sir Kenneth Branagh, dropping with the main show on Friday. So wow. if you're here, if you're still here listening to us gush, uh, I assume you're going to be excited about that one. And it is fantastic. We actually just wrapped on it, and I can confirm it is amazing. Do you know who's listening now, right now? The real ones. Which, the real ones are listening right oh, now. Oh, the, the real ones <laughs> yes, are listening right They've now, made yeah. it this far. I do want to say it's important because I feel like, like this type of interview could go out and people could find it who don't know our show, right? And and sure, then they sure. listen to it. So Hopefully. if you are continuing and you are still in this part of the interview, um, if you've never heard us before, please find our catalog of directors. We've had Christopher Nolan. We've had Denis Villeneuve. We've had the Russo brothers. We've had, I mean, Alfonso Cuaron. We're talking like Edward Norton, Joaquin Patty Phoenix. Jenkins. Uh, Patty Jenkins. Patty uh, Just, you know, if you're if you're a fan of filmmaking and you found us through just because being a Zimmer fan, um, we've been doing the show for a few years now and uh, the catalog is pretty insane. It's all geeky stuff. And if you're a composer fan, we got Giacchino, talked to Elfman, um, Ludwig, Ludwig. Uh, oh my my God, Goronson, Goronson for uh, who uh, who won the Oscar for Black Panther and actually did Tenet yeah. recently. So uh, yep. we, cool catalog. If you haven't heard us before, so it's not too bad. It's not too yeah. bad and growing. So and we've got some bangers coming through the rest of the year. So yes, we yeah. do. Stay tuned. Yes, we do. So uh, if you're on the YouTube, hit like and subscribe. If you're listening to us, <sighs> your podcast needs met. Hit subscribe as well too. And uh, we'll be back soon. Talk to you later. Zimmer. I was like, what do we shout for our yeah. bonus episode? <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.